0: Hello, and welcome to the Neff Canyon Ward podcast. My name is Tyler Slade, and I'm excited to bring you all the cool people of our neighborhood and ward. The goal of this podcast is for all of us to get to know each other better, to create unity through sharing our experiences with others in
1: the gospel. Okay, welcome to the Neffs Canyon podcast. Uh, We're here with Tyler Slade, and I'm Gary Beener, and we're here with uh, Dick Oliver, who uh, has recently moved into our ward, and we're so glad to have him. And uh, Well, thank you, Gary, but uh, the question I have is, why are you interviewing me? I thought I was going to have Tyler.
2: Is this a, <laughs> I'm sorry. Are you guys going to team up on me?
0: Gary, we'll Gary, up. Gary's in training.
1: All right. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm good for it. I think everybody's sick here hearing me from me. Let's hear from more from you. <laughs> no, no, they like hearing from you. Well, um, anyway, we're glad you, glad you moved in the ward. Well, thank you. And uh, how are you related to uh, Ken Smith, Kent and Carol?
2: Well, Ken Smith and Carol Smith's wayward son, Richard, S- Richard uh, somehow met my daughter huh. and convinced her to marry her. And it took a while, but you know, it, it worked out, and it was a little later in life for both of them. They were both in their thirties. So it was not an early marriage for either one of them.
1: So uh, he moved down to California, into the singles ward where you had previously been the bishop. Oh yeah, that was a lot of years ago. Yeah, it was. Okay, so you were gone by the time Rich got down yeah, there. That's I, probably good. I did not know Rich at that time, no. Okay. And and so tell us how many children you have and
2: where they are. at. Well, we have Nadine, my wife Nadine and I had five children. The oldest was a girl named Rebecca. And she lives in Bainbridge Island, Washington with her husband, Brent. And Brent was an anesthesiologist and he's kind of semi-retired right now and has had a few little health issues. But Mm -hmm. loving Bainbridge, uh, where they retired to after living for the last... 20 years, really, in uh, Orinda and Lafayette, which is on the east of uh, Walnut Creek in the Bay Area, Mm -hmm. over the bridge, and uh, that was their home. Okay, so that's one of them. And the second one uh, is named Charles, and uh, Charles was our challenge. He was a, a second child, and he was a very vociferous, very vocal young man who uh, we teased because he would always have to get the last word in edgewise. Regardless of what we're talking about, we'd say, Okay, Charles, I understand and I agree with you. He'd have something to say. Mm.
0: Always. Wow.
2: It uh, was his trademark.
0: I think that's me, too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that's not all bad. (laughs) And
2: uh, Charles married a girl in in the uh, Bay Area. Uh, We were living in Los Altos Hills, California. Now she has the last word. And uh, he married a, a young lady that he met in a performing group for youth, oh. uh, which was a performing group of primarily LDS kids that were growing up, growing up in, the, in the Silicon Valley area, which was now, now then, or then was just the Bay Area. And they met, and uh, after he came home from his mission, and, and he uh, came back and asked her to marry him, and he did. They were kind of young. And they have uh, had have, have four children, they lost one and have three children alive today. And uh, mm. our third child is Mary Catherine. And uh, she lives in the Sacramento area, actually a place called Shingle Springs. And she lives
1: there. How far is that from Carmel?
2: Uh, well, that's about a three hour drive. Sacramento is about three hours, oh, three and okay. a half hours from the, from uh, Carmel. Okay. And uh, Carmel was our home. And then our youngest daughter was Elizabeth and uh, she was uh, living in Palo Alto at the time uh, going to the uh, singles ward. The Stan- it was so you called had the Stanford a little, uh, uh,
1: you had some space between the yes, first three. there were eight, eight years. Before Liz came along. Yeah, before, uh, well, like... he, Liz had a, an older brother,
2: excuse me. Oh, okay. There's eight years between uh, Mary Catherine and uh, Ryan Oliver, who is uh, two years, uh, year and a half older than Elizabeth. Okay. And they, they grew up together. And so the older kids kind of took care of them when they were
1: babies. So, kept you young.
2: Yeah.
1: And how many grandchildren total?
2: We have uh, 19 grandchildren, and we've lost two. Uh, one as a 21-year-old in a very sad situation, and one that was just a day old. Uh-huh. And, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, That's hard. We've had uh, 19, and we get along great and have have had family reunions consistently. Uh Every year for many years.
0: When's the next family reunion? Well, the last one was just two weeks ago. Oh, so you just barely had it. Yeah,
2: we uh, we went to. Well, you, you you kind of you have to get a little history of my wife in here, and we need to share that story yes. with you maybe before we get too long.
0: Yeah, okay. yeah. Why don't we Let's talk about that?
2: Yeah, Nadine and I married when I was going to Stanford Law School, and she was teaching school in the Bay Area. And uh, we met and uh, dated, not seriously, for two or three years until I got ready to do the bar exam. So you want to and make sure got you pass the bar. <laughs> and uh, that was in uh, 1980, no, yeah, 1982, if I let's see. Was no, before that, right? No, no, it was 1962, yeah. take it back, yeah, yeah. and. Uh, uh, I, I didn't have the courage to ask her to marry me. We talked around about it quite a bit. And and she went off on a trip in the summer that I was studying in San Francisco to take the bar exam and staying up at her father's house up in Salt Lake. And so I decided to send her a telegram. And uh, she wasn't quite sure I was asking her to marry me. <laughs> so she had to ask an uncle. I said, was Dick asking me to marry him? And the uncle said, yeah, Nadine, I think he asked you to marry him. And through a
1: telegram
2: the telegram was a little obscure it wasn't yeah. you know i wanted to give her some yeah i had to okay. give her some smooth. wiggle room
1: <laughs> wow and, wow uh, but uh, she said yes Did she answer you by a telegram yes uh,
2: no <laughs> we exchanged a few long letters because i was still studying for the bar exam and she was up in salt lake and so we had some excuses to write then and when she came back we uh, i took her on a trip to sequoia where my parents, who were living in Los Angeles, belonged to the Audubon Society. Mm-hmm. And so we went up to uh, Sequoia uh, to, to see my folks, just to introduce her to my family. And while we were there, you know, they were living in tent cabins. They had us in two separate tent cabins. And so I decided to take Nadine on, a, I, I thought it was a horse ride but I think it really was a mule ride because, mm. you know, they go the very slow. Yeah. You need to sit on the horse, and there's someone at the top, and there's five, seven people in a line going down a dusty path, I and mean, we thought it was great. And so we were going along this mule ride, I guess, and she turned around to ask me a question, and as she turned around, she twisted her head, and she had a, 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 an eye... Uh, you know, a, not an implant, but a, a, a lens in her, oh. you know, a contact lens, contact that,
0: lens. that popped out. Okay.
2: And she said, Dick, I just lost my contact lens. And by that time, the horse had gone about 10 feet longer. So I stopped the horse, or mule, got off the horse, walked back 10 feet, looked down and saw something glistening in the oh, dust. Wow. Oh, come on. Picked it up, walked up to her and handed, is this what you lost? And that was our eureka moment when she realized that she was, realized that you didn't no, take care of her. Right. I and, and so that has been, and that's what? a true story. That's an absolute true story. And from then on, that was our eureka moment when she knew that there's something special about our relationship.
1: Yeah, because who would do that? I would have just
0: kept
2: going. Well,
0: well, okay, even if you did, I mean, you're not going to find it no. unless.
2: She's yeah, the luckily one. the horse had it, and it was dusty, it was really dusty. But evidently, it's, it's, it, the, the sun was you know shining, yeah, yeah. just caught the glint. And I, I don't know, pricked it up.
1: That was All the sign right. you were married. We were three, married years? in the Los
2: Angeles Temple, okay, oh, what a beautiful yeah. temple in 1962.
0: When was the Los Angeles Temple uh, uh built or dedicated? It had, hadn't been much, no, lately. it was only like
2: four years before that, years? maybe four or yeah. five years because I can remember as a teenager having a brother-in-law worked on the temple.
1: Yeah. yeah. So. All right, so Nadine just recently passed away. Yes, she did, yeah. But you'd been married total of how many years?
2: We were married uh, 50, 59 years. 59 years. Yes. We were married 59 years. It
1: was uh, Well, we were lucky enough to uh, get to know her uh, for a short while. Yeah. Beautiful woman.
2: You know, we, we came
1: here, it was really kind
2: of an exciting time for us. Uh, my wife had a stroke in 2012. And therein lies another kind of an interesting story because we were celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary in Napa, California. Mm-hmm. And we had all our kids, all our children, and all our grandchildren were there. And it was going to be a family reunion. And then we had rooms we dreaded, and we'd re- reserved the hall for a dinner, and then the next day or t- t- next day after, that was Thanksgiving, and we were going to have a Thanksgiving dinner. And so we had the celebration dinner where we all spoke and the gif- gifts were given out. And as we got up to leave, we walked back from the reception room where the dinner was held. And my wife mentioned that uh, she wasn't feeling very well. Mm-hmm. And so we walked into the little cottage where we were going to meet for some family games. And she ran into the side of the, of the doorpost. And so I asked uh, uh, Rebecca's husband, who was an anesthesiologist, if he would look at her. And he came up to her and said, Nadine, follow my my finger with his eyes. And he, he looked at her and he said, call 911. Mm. And so we did, and uh, she was having a stroke. And uh, we went to the uh, St. Helena emergency room, which wasn't much, and by that time, uh, and she was, she was standing when I put her in the ambulance. By the time she was getting out, it it was she had to be carried. And the time we got it up to the room, the emergency room, and I was a little later because I had to bring the other kids over. Uh, she was uh, they were had put her out with some heavy medication, and said that we have to call a Medivac helicopter hmm. to pick her up. And it flew in right then, and took her across the bay to the John Muir Regional Medical Trauma Center, Isn't which was it only about a. At least maybe a fifteen minute uh, ride at the most, maybe a half an hour drive. And uh, we, and she spent uh, about ten days in the hospital and uh, started to rehab and made amazing recovery really. And, uh,
0: and that was what year.
2: That would be uh, just a thanksgiving nineteen sixty two. No, in no. uh, fifty years later. Uh, you know, yes, yeah, that's 2012. 2012. Yeah. yeah, November 2012, which is our 50th wedding anniversary.
0: Yeah. So, wow. 10, so almost 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: And she uh, made a pretty good recovery. And for the last 10 years, though, she's had, a, had to have a full-time Korean friend who lived with us 24-7. And, and she, could, uh, she could walk fairly well. She always dressed beautifully. She mm-hmm. always looked beautiful. She always took care of herself. She had no facial drooping and she didn't have any slurred speech, Yeah, but she, couldn't, uh, she couldn't remember it, how to cook and she, she couldn't, she had to relearn all those things and she did a pretty remarkable job. And so we had a great, you know, at one time just nine months after the stroke, we were able to continue on a, a cruise that we had reserved the year before with some friends uh, on a river cruise and, and she did well. I, I was amazed, but uh, well, we we did well. Uh, but uh, back in just this last last year, and it, we uh, we decided we had to move from Car- Carmel to be closer to our grandchildren, realizing that Nadine felt that she didn't have too much longer to live, and she was assured. She just kept telling me, she a Dick, I know, I'm not sure how long you're going to live." Yeah. And we kept poo-pooing that. I said, "No, of course Nadine, because she looked great." Yeah, you never and, know. She had lots of doctors and lots of side issues, but uh, she managed, managed quite well. And, but she said, I just need to get by, by my grandchildren because I, I want to be sure I, I get to know them. And her fear the last six months was that she was starting to forget the names of her children yeah. our, and her grandchildren. And that was a real fear for her. And so we, we came and I was lucky enough to be able to find a house. My daughter, lives. Me shop for sure. Them. Oh,
0: she, sure. she,
1: hey, they, look at this one, Dad. <laughs> you know,
2: they, she shopped for, a pool, yeah, for four houses. And we made a couple offers. And every time, Tyler, we got outbid. I mean, yeah. I wasn't even close, yeah. it had to be remodeled. And I finally, listen, I said, Well, Dad, why don't you go, go to this big house? It's a lot more money, but you don't have to remodel it really a whole lot. And not a lot of bidders,
1: and yeah, it's got a great pool in the back, yeah. Well, we feel like we're the lucky ones getting you in our ward. Hey, tell us about, uh, you, you mentioned that you, your parents were members of the church, but how did you gain your testimony? And what, well,
2: do you remember? It, it, no, I do remember, sure. I, I grew up in Los Angeles. As I expressed to you a little earlier, we, we lived in Los Angeles at so the time the church was really growing, because right after the war, and uh, we lived in the same house for s- five different years. I was two years old till the time I left to go to college. And we ended up in, in five different wards and three different stakes. And you know, it, you just, it was just really growing. Wow. And uh, my folks both graduated from the University of Utah. Mm-hmm. And uh, dad grew up in, in Jordan uh, and uh, sugar beet, beet farm. Mm-hmm. And my mother lived uh, in Twilla, Utah. And then after a sickness, when she was a child, she ended up living in Salt Lake with her grandparents, and decided she didn't want to go back to Twila, and so she stayed <laughs> stayed in Salt Lake, and went to high school, and went to college, and had uh, had an exciting life as a, as a college student. And uh, Dad got a, a master's degree in finance or accounting, and, and moved to California to teach school, and somehow through a sister met my mother, and. Uh, they got married after a very short romance in Los Angeles, and that's where I, I grew up. I had one sister, and we grew up in, in the West Los Angeles area, not too far from MGM Studios,
1: mm-hmm. Culver City in Santa Monica. Well, tell us mm-hmm. how you, you remember how you got your testimony. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, I can. I, I, was, <clears throat> I, I had gone
2: east to a college out of high school. I got a scholarship, and so I went east to the college and thought it was great. And uh, I, I was anxious because I graduated from high school in mid-year, we had a split year in our high schools. So we graduated in January. So I went to UCLA for one semester, then I went back east to, to a college where I got a, a scholarship. And uh, when I came back, I was able to get admitted into Stanford Law School. Yeah, good for you. And I got a scholarship to do that. and I. It was in in September or August and September ready to go back to law school and I was excited about that, and I went to church on Sunday and the bishop called me in his office and he said, "Dick, I'm calling you on a mission." Or you no, know, he said, "After you're accepted." No, no, no. First he said, "Why haven't you gone on a mission?" Well, wow. mm-hmm. and I looked at him and said, "Well, Bishop, you've never called me," and I think in those years you go the
0: board only was That's allowed because right, yeah. yeah, it was missions. the the dot they were trying to avoid the the draft well, dodgers. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and
2: so. So uh, he said, you, uh, "Well," he said, and I said, "Well, you've never called me." He said, "Well, I'm calling you now," and I said, "Bishop, you can't do that. I'm going to law school. I've yeah. got a scholarship. I'm all set up. I've got my books bent, you know, Stanford said, to boot." Yeah. And Dick, he Stanford. said, "I've called you on a mission." I said, "Well, let me think about it for a day or two. And so I came back two weeks later and I said, "Yes, I'd love to do it." Wow. And I got called to the British Mission, and it was the best two years of my life, and. Uh, there was an event at that time in my mission uh, that was a turning point for me. I think when it, the, the, the testimony really, uh, and it was a testimony of the Prophet David O. McKay. Uh, I had an assignment at the very end of the mission. I was editing the Morneal Star, and it was a great calling. And I meeting all these people, and, and the General authorities had come over to dedicate the temple. Was Ken over there at the time? No, this was Ken. Ken's Ken story. had a similar Ken, story, yeah, but it was it, in yeah, in
1: London. In London. In London.
2: And his story was with the prophet. He found the uh, the site for the temple. Yeah, though no, he told that. And, and fast, so Ken told that story. the And I went over and to Ken and said, Ken, you've got you've got a story that's almost identical to mine. Oh. Because I was there when they dedicated oh. the temple, and the prophet came. And he had general authorities, and he wanted the general authorities to interview everybody that was in the mission home. And I was in the missionary oh, home. Wow. And when we finished that, that interview, and that's the first time I've been interviewed by a general authority, and I was kind of overwhelmed. But then the prophet, David O'Kay, comes down the stairs, and we all started saying, We ever pray for thee? Our prophets, see you know. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I, I just had this, you signed my, my Eureka Movement, so you know, that's a oh, profit. That's a It's stuck with me ever since, and I've never doubted it, never had a problem. Okay, now,
0: time out. There is, we've got to connect these dots, because yeah. I want to be very clear. Now, 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 those listeners can either think in coincidences, because
1: this is before... This is the same temple. Well... On the temple.
0: Yeah, yeah, but, but at this point, neither one of you have kids. No. And you don't yeah. know each other. No. No, I know. And you end up having your in-laws. kids in-laws, right? I mean, yes, we we didn't know each other at all. Yeah, what a and, and that's just coincidence, right? I mean, I yes. just I, I, I love God. I love these connections where we
1: can see how our Heavenly Father. Yeah. But both, but both of them have gained a strong testimony from that from the same thing from the same thing meeting the prophet. Yeah, you
2: know, the other coincidence, Tyler, is that. Uh, Rich was in a singles adult ward at the time he met my daughter,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I was a bishop of this that same singles adult ward about eight years before that for yeah. five and a half years. Okay, and so we had that interaction between mm-hmm. the young adult ward and that experience. So I was, you know, I was all. Set up trying to help Liz get married. Yeah, because that's our job yeah. in, in the bishop. It in is. The young adult yes. ward, you know, and we had lots of marriages and lots of drama. Yeah, and Liz has had lots of drama mm-hmm. and hadn't quite met the first you know, the right one. And so uh, they She's came. She's a pretty
1: for, cute girl. I'm, I'm. surprised she lasted that long. Yeah, down there, but that just so I blessing for Rich. I, I think Rich was picky. Rich was very picky. Rich. Yeah, we had Rich, <laughs> but two Liz of them boys, who, I Yeah, I think.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, she too. I'm betting on their marriage based on how this has all come together. Yeah. No, I mean, it was meant to be. Yeah, yeah. They, uh,
2: their connection really was that they both liked to ride bikes. Yeah. And they, they would come to our when I when I interviewed, Rich when he asked me if he could marry my daughter, they had come to Carmel and were staying at our home, and the day before they both bought bicycles and ridden the pathway that went through. The preserve and up around up in the Monterey Mountains, there and come back. And it was probably a, probably a f- five hour trip at Jeez. least. Jeez! And so they were they had biked together. And then they came in and he, he said, Brother Oliver, I'd like to talk to you about your daughter. And I was hoping that would happen. So it was great.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. I love that story. So, so you have that eureka moment, that uh, conversion uh, basically on your mission. Yeah. And then from there, um, have you ever looked back? I mean, it's just forward in faith. I mean, so many good callings. Tell us a little bit about the journey from there.
2: Well, I've been in lots of bishoprics. There's been lots of high councils. Had the five and a half year bishop calling. Yeah. And and. and that was part of the Stanford that ward? Was, it, was, it was called the Stanford Third Ward. Now, it wasn't the students at Stanford, interestingly enough. Okay. The Stanford First and Second Ward was a separate ward. And while I was a bishop there, I think Elder Iring, Brother Hal Iring, was the bishop of the Sanford First Ward, the mm-hmm. student ward, and they met in a different chapel because the students had very different needs than the young adults who aged from, you know, 20, 19 or 20 up to about 40. I okay. mean, we had a whole range, and we had a congregation of 30 kids and lots of marriages and lots of activities, similar like, like it, well, uh, Brother. Gary had
0: I want to go back just a bit because I think there's something here that I need to get clarification on. When you were called to go on a mission, you had a scholarship and all set up at Stanford Law. Yes. You just don't, I mean, typically those institutions don't understand a two-year hiatus for a religious mission. How did you handle the Stanford portion of this? You go to somebody and say, hey, by the way, I'm going on a mission and how, how'd that all go yeah there
2: there was one LDS faculty member on the Stanford faculty yeah and he he taught tax law and so I called him up and I said I can't remember his name I'll think about brother? it brother yeah and I, I, I said <laughs> you think I said, do you think I could get my scholarship back yeah am I going to be able to get my scholarship back and will I readmit me and he said, why don't you just call up the admissions office? And so I did. I, I don't remember going there, but I called them up and I said, gave my name and I said, I've admitted to the class and I'm gonna have to take a leave of absence because I got called on the mission." I said, can you give me any kind of assurance so I'll get it back? And they said, no. No. But there's a reason, they said, there's a reasonable chance that you might, mm. but they, so they said, I can't guarantee it. And so at that point, it was up to the Lord.
0: And you made that decision knowing that you could be giving up Stanford Law.
2: Yeah, I could have. If yes, I had to, they, they wouldn't give me any kind of assurance.
0: That's
1: a pretty good So affair. what happened when you got back?
2: Well, that's the finish of the story. I got back. I, I flew in on a Saturday night on one of the first overnight planes that were going from the mission to Europe there. Had my mission report with the i council and they gave a report at a sacrament meeting. Had a reception mm-hmm. at my home. At nine o'clock, I got on a bus to go up to Stanford to start law school on Monday morning at eight o'clock, and so that's how I started, and uh, it it uh, it was a great first year, terrible hard, terribly difficult for me because yeah. i from a mission I wasn't used to starting the same thing and it was, and halfway through the year I debated should I really be in law school? Maybe I should go to business school. You know, met up people that decided to stay on, and then in June. Just before we were to take finals, I received a letter from my dad, which included in it a letter from the draft board in Los Angeles. And it said, Dick Oliver, or Richard Oliver, you are hereby drafted. Report to such and such a point what camp it was, and you have to report there in five days. This was during the first year this was when i was just finished the first year okay yeah was starting to study for the finals for my first year and i called up the draft board and said you can't do that because i'm in law yeah. school yeah. And i have an ed- educational deferment and the lady said well mr oliver when are your finals over wow and i said they're over in three weeks and he said she said okay you have an educational deferment for three weeks and in three weeks, you'll get another draft notice reporting you. And I said, do I have any options? And he said, well, if you really don't want to go for two years in the Army, you can find a, some kind of a reserve unit in the Navy or the Army or the, Army or the Air Force or Marine Corps, or whatever it is, and join up for a six-year reserve program, but you can't get out of the draft. And I said, well, how come? And they said, well, you obviously, you had an educational deferment to go to Yale. And then you had an educational deferment to go to Stanford, and now you, you want you uh, you study law, mission. and so you and you had a a, a, a mission deferment. Mm-hmm. So you're out of deferments. <laughs> yeah, you're obviously just trying to avoid the draft, so yeah. don't don't buck well, so Yeah. So I ended up finding a, a reserve unit, which I joined up and was in in the U.S. Marine Corps Air Reserve. There you go. And so I went to boot camp down in San Diego that summer. Missed the, the next semester at law school. This
1: Indeed. would have been your third year. That, no, that would be my second year. Second, second year. Second year. Oh, yeah.
2: And so I had to make up some classes, and uh, and I studied hard and made up some classes, and did the military reserve, which was, you know, every every month going for a weekend or every weekend, uh, you know, you, you have a call and, and two weeks in the summer you have a, a a camp someplace to go, and I did that for the three years while I went through law school, and. And finished law school in the reserve, and uh, when I got married, uh, I had a law degree, and so I went to the Fifth Army Corps of Engineers up in, in San Francisco and said, "Is there any way I can get out of the Marine Corps as a private first class, <laughs> which I didn't really like? Sure. <laughs> Physically, I, I wasn't up to that sort of thing." But uh, and they said, "Yeah, we have a we have an opening spot in." Because you have a law degree now, and so I got a commission as a second lieutenant, served in the, as a second lieutenant in the Army Reserve for another three years, and then about six months before the Vietnam call-up, uh, I was honorably discharged, and our unit was called
1: up to Vietnam. And so I so much I, wow. to
0: unpack here. Holy cow, I mean, all these, I mean, we, what a went, we missed the scholarship,
1: period. though. Did you ever get that Yeah, back? I got the scholarship back. Tell us about undergrad. Where did you get your
2: undergrad? I, I went to Yale University. So we just
1: missed Yale, right? I mean, That was your undergrad?
2: Yeah. And I, I, I was the first student from my high school to go east to college. And I had no idea where it was. But I. So you not, weren't
1: picky on your colleges?
2: No. I, in fact, I had an algebra teacher in high school. And she said, Dick, you know, there's this guy from... From Yale is coming to interview students, and you're my best student, and you want to go to Yale. And I said, well, I don't even know where Yale is. Wow. And so I met him. So you went to the Y. Yeah,
0: it's a blue Y <laughs> as
2: well. Yeah, you're right. It's a blue Y. <laughs> That's where the Y got their Y.
1: Yeah. Did you know that? And, and the right colors. And, and back and east, those and where years, BYU had, they think it's their Yale.
2: And in those years, both of the yeah. black teams were lousy. Yeah. <laughs> Yale never one of these, And I don't think BYU Yeah, was they were pretty time.
1: bad, too. Yeah. Well, when you look back, you can see the... Uh, you were blessed to get, because you had a, a lot of things going against you to get through law school. I did, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was extremely blessed. But you got through yeah. Yeah. just fine, and it's blessed your life, yeah. your
0: so, whole life. Yeah. So, so then, But then you didn't use
1: your law degree, did you? No.
2: I, I, I used it in the background as stepping stone. Sure,
1: sure. But, but so um, tell
0: us about your profession.
2: I was just going to say, though, that I, I was blessed when I was growing up. My dad had still me the principal to work, and I loved to work. Yeah. And I had all all sorts of jobs all through junior high school and high school. That's before they, you had to have be sixteen to get jobs. And so I, I had all sorts of jobs. So I liked to work. I had no problem doing that. I, I'm sorry, Charlie, I interrupted you.
0: No, yeah, no, 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 you're fine. And there's just so much. Uh, what a rich life. Um, and we're just getting started. But uh, tell us about your career.
2: Well, when I got out of law school, I uh, went to work. Uh, interesting story again because I, I was. In the Palo Alto First Ward, when I was in my third year of law school, uh, and and I met uh, Jack Wheatley, and Jack Wheatley uh, had a company in Palo Alto, and I he came to me and asked me to teach a Sunday school class class when I was in law school, and I said, you know, Jack, you know, you don't when you're in law school you don't have a lot of time, but you know, I said I'm really short of money. But if you'll give me a a weekend job to do some things I can do for you, uh, I can earn enough money to to, to get back and forth to Los Angeles and finish off my school, then I'll I'll work for you. And so he hired me to work. And at that time, Jack's company had, uh, and while I was with him, we merged his company with the Jacobson Brothers Construction Company out of Salt Lake City, Mm -hmm. where Jack Wheatley had some friends. And Jack Wheatley was my mentor. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, well, while I was there that, that third year, uh, I helped bidding on the Los Angeles or on the Oakland Temple, mm. because the Wheedley Jacobsons got the contract to build the temple at that time. And so uh, I got some, some experience there, and I had graduated from Yale in engineering, so I had an engineering background and a law yes. background. So uh, I worked Jack asked me to stay on with him after I graduated. And I spent eight years with Jack, and they they were wonderful years, and he mentored me, and we got along wonderfully well uh, until uh, I felt like I had done my, my duty of learning. And I said, it's time, Jack, that I had a participation in some of the projects for Bill Legola, and I'd like to do that. And he said, Dick, I'm not sure you're quite ready yet. And at that time, he was having a falling out with his partner, who was his brother, and... So his brother came to me, and that was Leon Wheatley. And he said, Dick, do you want to go off with me and we'll start our own company building apartment houses? Hmm. And I went back to Jack and I said, Jack, what would you think if I did that? And Jack said, I think maybe you ought to do that. And maybe I could build the the apartments (laughs) that you're going to do. And I said, well, that would be good. So we'll work that together. And I had some legal work I had to do for So we split up. And, And we remained friends for 50 years, 40 years
1: after that. Well, never, uh, that kind of got you started and, in the and, development. And 19, in 19,
2: uh, that was 1968 and we, we, we left and I had 1968, 1972. Uh, Leon passed away from cancer and so I had to dissolve. We'd built two apartment projects and we were really on our way and I thought it was all gravy. and He, he uh, developed cancer and mm-hmm. I had to liquidate the company and it his estate. And I met two friends. Uh, One was a member of the church and one was not. And we formed a company called Dividend Industries Inc. in 1972. And that became my life adventure. I spent over, and we built homes. Yeah, We built homes all over the Bay Area and in Arizona. And we had the ups and downs of the construction and real estate business during the seventies when interest rates were varying from 18% 18% to 30, 25% in and, and 1992 uh, actually did us in because we, that was a savings and a loan debacle when every savings and a loan company went out of business yep. and at that time we were building 400 homes a year Jeez. and we had a, a 110 employees in Arizona, Southern California, Northern California and we ended up with four
1: employees, three partners and one secretary. And no business, and no loans. That's the nice thing about being uh, being at the top. You're you're the last one to go.
2: (laughs) And we started again. Had to work it out. We worked it out, and got started again. My one partner left, and uh, he wanted to start a mortgage company, and I didn't want to do that. And the other partner passed away, not totally unexpected, but that was 1994. We started a new company, but it was related, same name, called Dividend Homes, and that company still exists today. And I've... Uh, you still have ownership in it? I still have ownership in it, but I'm really semi-retired in the sense that I don't participate in the building side other than just consulting yeah. and being a... But this last year we built, you know, probably a hundred townhouses in Silicon Valley selling up for ridiculous prices. And, yeah. But we've been around for a long time and done a lot. And it's been a great profession, had lots of friends and been able to participate in lots of associations and cities and councils.
1: And,
0: done that, yeah. Well, you'll fit right in yeah. and
2: with
1: this uh, ward. And yeah, I understand. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> we, we, all, we, we all have story, stories to tell, but it, it's interesting if we start telling stories, Max has got better stories or Walt has better stories or someone else has better yeah, stories. Right. So We're swapping stories and all of a sudden we realize that maybe we're not spinning it the right way.
1: Yeah. good <laughs> people. Yeah, those are some great experiences. Um, we could probably go on all night. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I, will, I, will, I did have
0: something I wanted know. to add on, um, and ask, uh, oh, well, first of all, we need to let everybody in the ward know your preferred name of choice,
1: yeah,
0: is Sick. Dick. Dick, yeah, that's funny. Dick Oliver, okay, call me Brother Oliver, that's brother right. Oliver, okay, brother yeah. Oliver, after you leave the, the ward, yeah, yeah, um, tell the ward a little bit more about Nadine from a standpoint of her skills and what she was, you know, really good at, maybe maybe just uh, help that ward understand who she really was. Nadine was just a lovely person. And
2: she came from a divorced family. Uh, Her parents were married up in Logan, up in Cache Valley. And the father was fairly young at the time and was doing things he shouldn't have done. And when her brother was born, when she was about a year and a half old, her dad failed to show up at the house. And his mother said, that's it. And so they got a divorce but remained friends. The father turned his life around significantly and remarried about three years later. And her, her mother remarried and had two children. Uh, but Nadine stayed very close with her father. And his father remarried and the father had, with his second wife, had nine half-brother uh, sons and two daughters. That would be Nadine had nine half-sisters mm. and two half-brothers from that marriage. And then from her mother's marriage, uh, she had uh, an, another half-sister and another half-brother. And so all of a sudden Nadine has now in Utah, probably over a hundred yeah. relations from that her father's family. And we got together with her and Nadine every summer. We would come to Utah and be with that family. And at first they were just the boys and the girls, but now since that, it's just really expanded. But they've always been very close. And we had a, a, in our family reunion this last week, we had a service up at the cemetery in River Heights in the rain, which was interesting in itself, but we had a couple of tarps set up and we had, were there together and we dedicated the grave. And then we sat there and just shared memories of Nadine. And about 15 of her family showed up at that unexpectedly. Mm. And so they shared some stories. And in those stories, I sensed how, how what, what kind of a person Nadine really was from a different perspective. We probably when we grew up, we had probably three or four of their children, one time or another, or half brothers or half sisters, would come to live with us in mm. California for a summer. Mm. They would say, and Nadine would mentor them and be with the, the mothers or the, the boys or the girls and, and do things with them. And when we'd go back to Salt Lake, she would always do something with the children to be sure that they knew who she was, and and uh, she, had, uh, she had she she had class. And she knew how to dress, and she dressed very well. And, uh, and so we shared, those kids shared some of those stories that I hadn't heard before. And, and the you the fun was this, the One of her older brothers, half brothers, told the story about when he came down, he was coming out to going to church on Sunday, and Nadine stopped him and said, no, you've got to button your shirts up and your and trousers up so all the buttons line up. Mm. And she stopped him and made him take a shirt in and she buttoned all the buttons so they all lined up. I love And he that. remembered that. I love that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, Nene was just, just a lovely person and, and she was very caring. I know that when we were together in the Carmel Monterey First Ward, she had a, a lady that she, she was in charge of visiting the visiting teacher with. And, and the lady was in the rest home. And she'd been in the rest home for probably five years. And every week Nadine would go to that rest home and while she, while the lady was able, she would take her swimming to the common pool, bring her things and to bring her to church. And she never failed in that calling. It was something that was just inbred
1: in her. And she, that was just part of Nadine. Yeah. Family so, was important and relationships were very important yeah. to her. Yeah. Well, a wonderful woman and you're a great guy. Oh, thank we're, you. We feel blessed to have you in our ward. So oh. Tyler likes to ask a question at the end, and that, we're going to let Tyler ask this. Yeah. Dick, We uh, one
0: of the reasons we're doing this is that we want to uh, have it for family history, right? And you've shared some really memorable stories and some things that, I mean, if you think about it, uh, if we had a similar 45-minute podcast of our ancestors from 100 years ago, and we got to hear some of the things that you've shared tonight, what would we pay for that if we could? I mean, I mean, that's a lot, right? And well, so, the, so the question is, 100 years from now, long after we're gone, and your posterity is listening to this very podcast, what do you want them to know about you and Nadine?
2: Well, what I would tell them to do because I have been a person who has kept a journal for 80 years. And while Nadine was recovering, I took four years and wrote a family history of our life together, beginning with our ancestors who came from Scotland and joined, ended up in Nauvoo and crossed the plains. And those stories are there and that everything that has happened since that time, I tried to put into some kind of a readable form so my grand, our grandchildren would be able to read it and know what their legacy was. That's awesome. And so it's there, and I've got it, and it's 472 pages long. And it's interesting, Tyler, because I know in this family reunion we had just last week, I had a couple of grandsons there who were not terribly active in the church. And I sat down with them, and I said, I I gave them a copy again. Mm -hmm. And I said, I want you to read it, and it's a favor to me, just so that you know what your legacy is. And you're going to live your life the way you feel like you should. Love it. But you need to be able to have a a basis and understand what your ancestors went through to give you what you have. And so I've done that, and I love it. I'd be happy to share that in a podcast or something else you want.
0: Yeah. Well, there's your. I mean, how do you beat that? So, let, pull up the book, yeah. right? Yeah. Get that book and and hopefully you have a. You get it in a digital form, because if you get it in a digital form, you can connect it to FamilySearch, yeah. so that. Well, how do you connect 472 pages digitally i don't i, I guess you can yeah. you, should, you yeah. can you can mm-hmm. and uh and and we'll, we'll, we'll
2: help we Well, you with I, that. I gave a copy to the byu library because they, they actually published it for me oh great uh, i paid them to do that but yeah. uh, they had that service and that was back in 2017 and they did a marvelous job for me i thought
1: well this has been fantastic it's been great yeah, yeah. thanks for oh you're welcome